This is VLX number 100, The Sky is Red. We are in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. VLX is Video Lexio Divina, your online patristic Bible study, and Ignatian Mental Prayer Meditations. God give you his peace, and omni patris, afidi, et spiritu santi, amen. God, O oh Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. And omni patris, afidi, et spiritu santi, amen. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Now, here's a possible objection to my series. I've never had any traditional Catholics say this, but maybe someone could ask, is it safe to focus our prayer so much on the humanity of Jesus in our meditation prayer? Shouldn't we focus on the saints? Shouldn't we focus on maybe more mystical things, private revelation? Could all of this focusing on the humanity of Jesus in the Gospels, could this lead us away from the Catholic Church? I don't think traditional Catholics would ask that. But St. Teresa of Avila gave this answer to her nun. She said, quote, It is by this door, Jesus, that we must enter. Let us seek no other way. That way alone is safe. It is through this Lord of ours that all blessings come, end quote. That's in her autobiography, Vida, or Vida, chapter 22. Why did she use the word safe? Well, 16th century was a time when people started to get a little bit worried about really wacky mystical prayer. And here you have arguably the highest mystic in Spain in the 16th century, her and St. John of the Cross. And here she is telling you, meditating on the New Testament, the humanity of Jesus in the Gospels, is the very best way for mystical prayer. It's the best way for basic, baseline prayer, and it is your springboard to mystical prayer. As I've said before, this series, this series method, at least the imaginative way, is how St. Teresa of Avila taught her nuns and how St. Ignatius of Loyola taught his men. The Carmelite notion is that focusing on Jesus and his humanity or focusing on Jesus and the eternal word, they're both great because uh, they both lead to the pathway of God the Trinity. But because we have more access to Jesus' humanity in the Gospels, the humanity of Jesus in the Gospels is truly the safest way of mystical prayer. Obviously, it's much safer than private revelations that need the approbation of the church. That's one reason why it's totally fine to picture Jesus in your imagination in this prayer series. Okay, let's jump into verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Two quick notes before we look at Father Lapide. You know, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the, of the dead. A lot of people think that the resurrection from the, of the dead is something only that came to us in the New Testament. No, there were Jews who believed in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't understand in the Old Testament God himself would become man, but they did understand there was a heaven and a hell, and you would get your body back. They didn't understand Jesus was the only pathway to heaven at that time before Jesus was even born. But a lot of Jews already believed not only in heaven, but that they would get their bodies back. This is why today, if you go to um, the Mount of Olives, if you look across the Kidron Valley, you can actually see Jewish tombs uh, on that slant of the hill facing east. 
so that when the Messiah came, they could bust out of their graves and go east and meet the Messiah who they said was going to come from the east. Amazing thing is, the night Jesus was arrested, he did come from the east across the Kidron Valley in chains. Um, So the, the Messiah did come from the east across the Kidron Valley, but he came as the suffering servant in chains being beaten. Isn't it amazing how Jesus fulfills every single hope of the Messiah, just maybe in different ways than they expected. Um, Scott Hahn talks about this, that the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the body, the Sadducees did not. He's got um, typical Scott Hahn humor, he says, and the Sadducees, that's why they were sad, you see. But it's a good way to remember that. Now, the funny thing is, Father Lapidie goes even farther than Scott Hahn, but here again they asked for one, means a miracle, because of the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves which Christ had just worked. For when they perceived that this miracle was celebrated by the multitudes who had been partakers of the bread, they called it an earthly sign that could be done by the devil who rules on earth. And so they insinuated that Christ was a magician and by the help of the devil had multiplied the loaves and performed his other miracles. This may be gathered from chapter 12, verse 24 of Matthew's Gospel. They ask of Christ, therefore, a sign from heaven that God who reigns on high, would thereby attest that Christ was sent by him and that his doctrine was heavenly, and that if he did it, they would believe Christ to be the Messiah and would train the people in the same faith. Now, everything that Father Lapide just said there is about the Pharisees. How about the Sadducees? Well, the next line, he says, But the Sadducees were atheists, thought no sign could be given from heaven by God, who in their opinion had no existence. The Pharisees thought that such a sign could be given, but that Christ would not give it, being not the Messiah, or if he was, not wishing to grant the request, as he had been unwilling in chapter 12, verse 38. So, kind of funny, maybe it's not funny, it's very interesting that Father Lapide insists that the Sadducees didn't only refrain from believing in the resurrection of the body, he calls them full-out atheists. So this brings us to this topic of miracles, signs, wonders. Miracle signs and wonders, those are all just uh, synonymous terms. Maybe some people have some very nuanced definitions, but we don't have to get into the difference. Just realize that miracle signs and wonders are basically the same thing. Jesus already gave miracles on earth, like the multiplication of loaves that we had in the last VLX. Um, But notice that Father Lapide just said that the Pharisees want, quote, a sign from heaven that God who reigns on high would thereby attest that Christ was sent by him and that his doctrine is heavenly. Now, up to, this is me now speaking. Up until today, I had passed by that word heavenly in reading today's Bible passage a lot, but it turns out the Pharisees, well, they're not happy with the miracles on earth. They want to see something in the sky. The Pharisees want a heavenly miracle. They want to see a miracle in the sky. Will that make them believe? Of course not. And this is why Jesus is about to show them that they have not just ignorance, but willful blindness. He answered them, When it is evening, you will say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. That's verse 2 and 3 of today's chapter, Matthew chapter 16. So in today's passage, I think the most important words there are signs of the times. At least we're going to spend the most time on that, signs of the times. It's what I want you to keep on the back burner as we look at the rest of today's gospel. The Greek translation for those three words is the same as the transliteration. They're both the same. Signs of the times, semanton kairon. Kairon is the uh, root word of kairos. Many of you know this, that there's two words for time in Greek. There is chronos, which is chronological time, and there's kairos, which is seasonal time. 
And the second is what we have in today's gospel. Uh, in the plural genitive, it's kairon. And of course, many of you know this, it's the root word of that retreat still happening in many Catholic high schools called kairos. So people say it's God's time. But the best way to understand the difference is chronos is chronological time, kairos is seasonal time, um, and yeah, let's call it God's time. But again, the signs of the times here is semeaton kairon. If you want to write above your Bible signs of the times in the, uh, the Greek, it's signs is S E M E I A. And then of the is one word, T O N. And then that plural genitive kairos, or seasonal time, that's kairon, which is K A I R O N. So signs of the times is semea ton kairon. Let's look at some of the signs of the times. Um, Dr. Taylor Marshall wrote a book called The Crucified Rabbi, and my favorite part of that book, it's a great book, but my favorite part of the back, book is in the back. He has prophecies of the Old Testament that Christ fulfilled. Now, you might think this is, what, 10, 15, 20? No, he has actually um, 300, 300 prophecies that Christ fulfilled of the Old Testament. I just picked like random, a random 10, 10 or 15 to read you. Listen to this. We're just looking in the middle of, um, say, Daniel and Hosea, Joel, and Micah. I'm going to read you just about 10 of these so you understand. This is just 10 of 300 that Dr. Taylor Marshall found in his book, Crucified Rabbi. Here's just a few. Daniel chapter 7 says the Messiah would ascend into heaven. Daniel 7, 13 to 14 says the Messiah would be highly exalted. Daniel 7, 13 to 14 says the Messiah's dominion would be everlasting. Daniel 7, 23, the Messiah would be born during the rule of the fourth Gentile kingdom, that is, during the Roman rule. Daniel 9, 24, the Messiah would make an end to sins. Daniel 9, 24 also, the Messiah would be holy. Daniel 9, 25, announced to his people 483 years to the exact day after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Daniel 9.26, the Messiah would be murdered. Daniel 9.26, the Messiah would die for the sins of the world. Daniel 9.26, he would be killed but for the destruction of the temple. Daniel 10, verse 5 and 6, the Messiah would enter a glorified state. Hosea 13.14, the Messiah would defeat death. Joel 2.32, the Messiah would offer salvation to all mankind. Micah 5.2, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, he would be God's servant. Micah 5.2, he is eternally preexistent. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, he would visit the second temple. Haggai 2.23 would be the Messiah would be a descendant of Zerubbabel. So notice I just picked uh, 10 or 15 random ones in the middle of the 300 prophecies Christ fulfilled of the Old Testament. This is written down by Dr. Taylor Marshall and Crucified Rabbi. Okay, now why did I just read those to you? I read those to you to show you that the Pharisees in today's VLX, the Pharisees are now at this point of being willfully blind. How? By ignoring the New Testament? No, they're ignoring the Old Testament. They are willfully ignoring the fact that this man, this God-man, Jesus Christ, is fulfilling every prophecy of the Old Testament, clearly pointing to the Messiah. Again, was this 10 or 20? No, 300. I mean, maybe you miss a couple of them, but how do you miss 300 if you know the Old Testament, if you know the Hebrew Scriptures at all? So Jesus is basically saying to the religious leaders of his time, look, 
you can see the natural sciences, you know, a red sky. You know how to read a red sky. That's why we call this VLX uh, red sky. You can see the natural sciences, but you can't see the supernatural sciences on what is happening around here with me. All right, let's fast forward 2,000 years. Is it the same for our religious leaders today that they can see the natural sciences but not the supernatural sciences? No, it's actually worse. Our religious leaders are not only blind to the supernatural signs of the times, but they're not even getting the natural sciences right. Like I mentioned before, you know, replacing the holy water fonts with hand sanitizer, that is refraining from getting the science and the theology right. Okay, before we get back to the text, I want to do a couple fun diversions, so stick with me. One fun diversion into the science and one fun diversion into language. Okay, first diversion today into the sciences. I'm sure you might remember growing up with that term, a pink sky at night is a sailor's delight. A pink sky in the morning is a sailor's warning. My own father taught me that line when I was a really little kid, and this proves that uh, we always remember rhymes later in life. This is why great saints like St. Francis Xavier would often teach um, the uh, little Indian kids subcontinent of India. He would teach the faith in songs and rhymes because he knew that they would actually remember it. And they did. They went back and they were singing it to their parents. Brilliant brilliant method of the Jesuits and probably the Franciscans to teach things in little rhymes and songs. Um, but that rhyme, uh, pink night, a pink sky at night is a sailor's delight and a pink sky in the morning is a sailor's warning, that actually comes directly from Jesus today, Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, and it's meteorologically correct. When it is evening, this is our Lord's words today, when it's evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. Or as we say today, a pink sky at night is a sailor's delight, and a pink sky in the morning is a sailor's warning. Now, there was a uh, scientific American article titled, Is There Scientific Validity to the Saying, Red Sky at Night, Sailor's Delight, Red Sky in the Morning, Sailors Take Warning? It reads, this is directly from um, Scientific American, quote, Indeed, there is scientific validity to the adage, Red Sky at Night, Sailor's Delight, Red Sky in the Morning, Sailors Take Warning. This saying has very old roots. In the Bible, Matthew 16, 2-3, the following quote is attributed to Jesus. When it is evening, ye say, fair weather, for the heaven is red, and in the morning, foul weather today, for the heaven is red and lowering. Two factors contribute to the cogency of this saying. The first is that weather systems generally travel from west to east in the mid-latitudes, because the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, a rising sun in advance of an approaching weather system would illuminate the approaching mid- and high-level clouds to create a red sky in the morning. Alternatively, if the sun is setting as a weather system exits and high pressure is building, then the departing clouds would be illuminated. This would create a red sky at night with fair weather to follow." End quote. So, of course, not that the God of the universe who invented science needs the approbation of a journal called Scientific American, but it's cool when even they recognize the New Testament has solid science. Okay, second little diversion. Let's go into language just really quickly. I want to talk about language. We've talked before about translating the Bible either sense for sense or word for word. Well, today when Christ says, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and the morning will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening, I want you to hear, if I were to literally translate from the Greek, I want you to hear what this would be like. This is my translation, so listen how bad this is if we go word for word in the Greek. Evening becoming, you say, fair weather, red for the sky, and early today, stormy red, for darkens the sky. Okay, so you can hopefully see 
why I do so much sense-for-sense sense translation as much as word-for-word word translation in this series. It might not seem that Catholic to some of you to have uh, maybe as much artistic license as I have when dealing with this much theology. I mean, when we're dealing with theology, should you have any sense-to-sense sense translation? Well, I think I just proved it right there that word-for-word word translation, it's not going to carry that. Transliteration is going to fail where translation can help us. And I recently came across some commentary on St. Athanasius' own biography of St. Anthony. And he wrote, quote, A literal translation made from one language to another conceals the meaning. I have tried to avoid this in translating as you requested the life of blessed Anthony, and I have translated in such a way that nothing should be lacking from the sense, although something may be missing from the words. Some people try to capture the syllables and letters, but you must seek the meaning, end quote. So all this is to say, some people could say, well, it's not too traditional to do a semi-dynamic translation on a Bible series. And no one's ever said that to me. But the words of St. Athanasius prove that we are allowed as Catholics to translate not only word to word, but also sense to sense. Again, St. Athanasius wrote, a literal translation made from one language to another conceals the meaning. And he wrote, some people try to capture the syllables and letters, but you must seek the meaning. Now, of course, this could get dangerous for us in a Bible series, especially in a Protestant culture. We're surrounded by a Protestant culture. But this is why we're a bit safer, since I know the basics of Greek and Latin. Uh, but we're especially safe since we keep checking this series against the Greek and the Latin fathers. Okay, let's move on. The most important thing here, as I said earlier, is these words, signs of the times. Christ is showing he's fulfilling everything happening in the Old Testament. All the Old Testament prophecies of the one Messiah and Savior of the world are being fulfilled in him, and he's proving this by all of his miracles. Um, and the fact that the Pharisees don't like to hear about the multiplication of the loaves, that they want a sign from heaven, no, they're not going to get that. Jesus is not going to give them one more reason to mock him. Because look, if up to this point they're ignoring all these prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ, and they are purposefully ignoring all these outrageous miracles, like the raising of the dead, they're kind of beyond help. You know, there was that famous atheist, I think, in the 19th century who said, even if a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary were to wave at me, I would still not believe. Okay, fine, die in your sin. No, just kidding. I don't want that. I don't want people to die in their sin. And of course, Jesus doesn't want them to die in their sin either. But there comes a point he's not going to jump through any of their hoops. The Pharisees, look, they can see when a storm is coming, but they choose not to see the spiritual storm that's coming at them, namely the storm they're going to cause, the passion and death of Jesus. And then the outcome of this, the destruction of Jerusalem. These are the signs of the times the Pharisees are ignoring. In other words, the Pharisees can see a red sky, but they can't interpret the multiplication of bread and fishes that the Messiah is truly here already. And as I said, our hierarchy can't do biology on a virus, or theology and divine revelation, so we're really in a worse situation than the first century. That's not me being bitter. We really are in a worse situation than the first century if we are choosing, at this point, willful blindness. Which brings us to the last verse today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Now, the word adulterous, does that mean the Pharisees were doing bad things on the side? Maybe, but that's not the main point. As Father Lapide pointed out before, Israel is the bride of Yahweh. And by not being faithful to Yahweh, to um, 
the trust of Abraham and the Ten Commandments of Moses, they are adulterous. As we proved before, the Pharisees, it's not that they're too traditional. They're making up new rules and expecting people to jump through their hoops. And therefore, they're adulterous for not holding the Jewish faith of Abraham and not holding to the Jewish faith of Moses, even though they claim both of them. Father Lapide points out the symbolic meaning of today's gospel. He says, In Christ's first coming, there was the serenity of grace. In his second coming, there shall be the storm of vengeance and of hell, which Christ the judge shall cause to thunder against the reprobate. So too says St. Augustine. Father Lapide continues, These are the signs of the time that the Messiah is coming, or the signs of the times, the 70 weeks of Daniel the prophecy of the patriarch Jacob in Genesis 49.10, and of other prophets. For these prophecies, together with the miracles which Christ was working every day, plainly proved that the Messiah was already there, and that he was the Messiah. Father Lapide extrapolates from St. Jerome as if Jesus were saying, If from the signs of heaven you know how to discern coming fine weather or a coming tempest, much more can you and ought you from the oracles of the prophets and my miracles to recognize me to be the Messiah, for these things are more clear and certain than those. And then a little bit later, Father Lapide says, Thus in like manner there are many in the present day who are lynx-eyed in earthly things, but moles in things divine, prudent in the world, foolish for heaven, of piercing sight and heaping up money, but most ignorant in the worship of God. And now we will close with something for the imaginative prayer. I'm going to ask you today to picture the resurrection. hate to jump this far ahead in the gospel, but we are coming up on Lent where not many people are going to be meditating on the resurrection too much. So I thought today would be a perfect day to do that. Another reason I think today is a great day to focus on the resurrection is because we heard that the sign that would be given to all of Israel is the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? Well, as you know, Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and came out of it. This is Jesus' way of saying he will be the new Jonah who will come out of the belly of the earth, literally, at his resurrection. Jesus will be killed, he will be executed, put in a tomb, a new tomb that no one's ever been in, and three days later he will resurrect himself. And so Jonah was in the belly of a whale three days and came out alive. Jesus was really in the belly of the earth three days, and even though he died, unlike Jonah, he too came out alive, but by his own power since he is God. So what I'm going to suggest today is picture yourself as a disciple, male or female, with Peter and John, you with Peter and John, and you are running into Mary Magdalene when she just saw the risen Lord for the first time in John 21. And again, this is the greatest miracle of history. Jonah coming out of a whale, which was a true miracle. This is what we're going to see in the resurrection. It's even greater. So really picture the excitement of walking with Peter and John and coming upon all the tears and the thrill of Mary Magdalene talking about how she just saw Jesus risen. I'm going to close with the words of St. John on this, this miracle of Jonah, this miracle of the resurrection. Excuse me, it's John chapter 20, not 21. But take these words to your mental prayer today, which I will close with. Again, picture yourself running, or at least speed walking, with Peter and John. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti, descendis super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.